Father Greenwell, honored guests, friends, and family, uh, thank you very much for inviting me here to talk to you today about something that's uh, very important to me and I'm sure all of you, the education of our children. Uh, I will try to make a few humorous points, but this is a deadly serious subject. And much of what I have to say will be shocking to some of you. Some of you may already know some of this information, but this is a, uh, a serious topic that I'm about to talk about. Uh, so, this is the agenda that I've uh, selected to, uh, to run through this story. I want to talk about the origins of uh, education reform for a few minutes, how we've churned up this, and now how education reform works, and then I'll discuss how this education reform does harm to our children. I will attempt to use uh, a technique that I was taught years ago when I was uh, an instructor at the Army Engineer School at uh, Fort Belvoir, and that is tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Okay? So I'll try to stick to that very simple uh, technique. So here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you about how things have changed in education over the last, say, 150 years or so and how things are changing quite dynamically uh, as, as time compresses here uh, at the end of last uh, century uh, and the early stages of this century. Okay, let me round out a little bit of my biography uh, to tell you some things about myself that will be pertinent to this presentation. Uh, I was a career Army officer. I retired at 20 years as a major. I then moved into the uh, aerospace industry uh, and after a couple of uh, job changes, I ended up in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. And I'm thinking, at this point in my life, I've been bouncing around the world for 20-some years. Now let's put down some roots, let's get involved in the community. And when I was approached by some, some colleagues at the office who lived in my community, and they said they were forming a taxpayers association to look at closely these escalating school taxes, I said, okay, this is something maybe I can... I can get involved in. So I did this. Now, I was very naive at the time. I thought I was going, my, my role, role was going to be to go to a number of school board meetings and argue why high taxes are not a good idea, we ought to cut school taxes. Uh, it only took a couple of months before I realized that I had uh, got a tiger by the tail. I was about to look right into the eyes of the beast. And uh, it was a very shocking moment in my life. Uh, I still get upset about that. Anyway, um, so I joined this Taxpayers Association. And I thought, uh, you know, I thought I got a good education in a public school system back in Delaware. And it had done me well. I went through college, uh, got my degree, went for, on for my master's. I had a successful career in the Army and in aerospace industries. I was making good money. I had a good education. It worked well for me. What's wrong with education? I mean, why shouldn't we spend good money for good education? So if we're getting good education, I don't mind spending good money. Okay, maybe I don't want to spend $5 million for a new high school, but, you know, a good education I think was a good investment. And I'm, I'm sure all of us look at education that way, if we get good education. But what I found out was we were not getting good education. 
I found out, as many others had found out, that there was an intentional program to dumb our children down, to take our children away from us, to steal their ideals, to steal their beliefs, and in place of those ideas, put in really bad ideas. They wanted to train our children to turn into little socialists. And this is what I found out about. So this is what I want to talk to you about. Our little taxpayer association started with about 100 folks. And after about a year and a half, and, and of course I have a, a big mouth, so they made me president. Uh, after about a, a year and a half, two years, we had 1,500 members in our little taxpayers association. And we looked across the county and across county lines and we saw other groups like us investigating education reform and the cost of education. That was a primary driver, but soon we began to look at the curriculum and what it was doing. And so we began to loosely network. And then we began to more formally network. So we, we uh, organized a multi-county umbrella organization that we called ASERT, the Alliance of Southeast Regional Taxpayers. And after working with them for a couple of years, I moved up to vice president and then vice president of this seven county taxpayer association, this umbrella group that, that, that offered advice and shared information across all seven counties. And then we networked across the state. And there were other organizations like us that we worked with and we shared a lot of information. So it was through this effort, these networking uh, organizations of concerned citizens, taxpayer associations, and other like-minded civic organizations, mostly grassroots, that I accum accumulated a lot of this research. I also then branched out and, and worked with other folks across the nation. And what I found was the pattern was the same. Whether it's in Pennsylvania, Eastern or Western Pennsylvania, or Kentucky, or Delaware, or California, or Oregon, or Oklahoma, or Kansas, the pattern was the same. They were bringing in these radical changes into the classroom and the parents were objecting and the parents were being silenced. And these ideas weren't coming from the school boards, they were coming from the state and federal governments. So this was the arena that I worked in for several years there uh, in working out of southeast Pennsylvania. So these are the things I want to talk about. All right. Now, my approach to presenting this subject, I'll borrow a quote from a fellow named Montaigne, who said in 1595, I speak truth, not so much as I would, but as much I dare, and I dare a little the more as I grow older. So I used to be kind of a quiet guy. I still am at times, but when I get on topics like this, I tend to be a little bit more forceful with my, my thoughts. Um, I want to make sure people understand what I think and what I've learned. I also want to share at the beginning of the presentation here another quote which I think is significant. This is a quote from a document called A Change Agent's Guide to Innovation in Education and it reads, it is best not to tell the truth about the substance of an education program educational program until after the fact, the fate accompli, when the profound results supposedly will render its merits obvious. Now that's a very telling statement. It tells us that those people who are behind 
educational change reform don't want you to know what their plans are until after they've got them implemented. The fate accomplished. Okay. Now, throughout history, those folks who would be masters of the world, and uh, Mr. Verizer talked about them quite eloquently last night. He talked about the Illuminati, he talked about the Freemasons, he talked about secret societies and subversive movements. They have had in mind to use education of the children as a tool for their secret societies, their subversive movements. So what I'd like to do now is step through history a little bit and bring up to date, up to you, some of the things that these individuals have said. Let's go back to the Illuminati. Adam Weissop founded the Illuminati, we learned last night, in 1776 in Bavaria, Germany. And this is what he said. We must win the common people in every corner. This will be obtained chiefly by means of the schools. Okay? So the mastermind behind the Illuminati, who was a quite a brilliant man, and, and I, let me make this point right now. The people that are doing this are quite brilliant. I, I have to, I have to uh, be amazed at how well they've done this. And hopefully you will see part of that as I move forward with the presentation. That this is, we're not talking with some, some, some folks that are just uh, fell off the turnip truck. These people are brilliant, they're well educated, they're well funded. Okay? Um, Karl Marx who wrote the Communist Manifesto with some assistance uh, in 1848, talked about this number, plank number 10 in his 10 planks of the Communist Manifesto called for free public education <laughs> delivered by the state. As a matter of fact, if you look at the other nine planks of the Communist Manifesto, all nine of them have been implemented in this country as well as this one, we all know. Now we move forward a little bit of time now, to almost the turn of the century, and John Dewey, who is praised by the education establishment as being the, the, the leader of progressive education in this nation, he said some interesting things about education. He said, I believe the true center, I believe the true center of correlation on the school subjects is not science, is not literature, nor history, nor geography, but the child's social activities. In other words, not, not academics. Do not emphasize academics. I believe that the school is primarily a social institution. Well, this is a very interesting trend now we're going to see start here, and it's going to develop over and over and over again as we move forward in time. Okay, next quote from an interesting person. Benjamin Kidd wrote a book called The Science of Power in 1918, and he said very boldly, give us the young, give us the young, and we will create a new mind and a new earth in a single generation. Go after the kids. Control the kids. Teach them what to think. Indoctrinate them in your ideas. You can control the country. You can control the world. Okay? Continuing to move along here, George Bernard Shaw, who was a socialist, fabulous, uh, Fabian socialist, also a playwright. Some folks only know him for that. But he was a, a socialist, and he wrote some comments about this in his book called The Intelligent Woman's Guide to Socialism and Capitalism, 1928. George Bernard Shaw says, under socialism, you will not be allowed to be poor. You will be forcibly fed, clothed, lodged, taught, 
and employed whether you like it or not. I put the emphasis on the word taught. Talking about education here. Forcibly taught, and indeed, that's, that's coming to play. Next time, we move a little bit forward here, now in a book by uh, George Counts in 1932 called Dare the School Build a New Social Order. He says teachers should deliberately reach out for power and then make the most of their conquests so that they could influence the social attitudes, ideals, and behavior of the coming generation. Again, this constant theme of social activities and behavior and ideas and ideals. Okay. Next, now 1933, H.G. Wells, who most people know only as a science fiction writer, but he was also a prominent socialist in the New World Order movement in these days, writes in 1933 in his book, The Shape of Things to Come, no revolution could be a real or assured revolution until it has completely altered the education system of the community. Again, grab the school system. Now, let's look at this note above here. I've had this quote for several years, but I think it plays a more prominent role today than maybe a month ago, two months ago. Notice that where I got this quote, H.G. Uh, Wells, in his book, he also predicts that the New World Order, in about 50 years, that would be in the late 80s, a little bit late, is going to come out of some events in Basra or Iraq. So the activities in the Middle East that we're seeing played out today, it's suggested that these have been planned for a number of years. Indeed, I can share with you many other quotes that can date the activities in the Middle East right now back 130 years. Uh, Albert Pike, a 33-degree Mason and a high member of the Illuminati, wrote about that. He wrote the strategy for the next century, the 20th century that just passed. And he talked about uh, fomenting uh, the, the Russian Revolution, World War I, II, and three, And World War III would be played out in the Middle East, according to Pike in the 1860s, which is when he wrote that. Interesting stuff, huh? Okay. Um, next quote here. Not a quote, but paraphrased. Adolf Hitler in the mid-30s said, give me the children for two years and I will have them for life. Again, come after the kids. Now, uh, Communist Party in the United States at their convention in 1936, Earl Broder, who I believe was their candidate for president, said, whoever wins the youth wins the future of America. Another statement about that. Okay. And now we've got the NEA, who's been on board with us for a number of years now, in the mid or uh, late 70s now, writes in their journal, the National Education Association Journal, now we're starting to see this theme of international politics and promoting world government under the UN. As you teach about the United Nations, lay the ground for a stronger United Nations by developing in your students a sense of world community. The United Nations should be transformed into a limited world government. The psychological foundations for wider loyalties must be laid. Loyalties of the children, wider than, wider than loyalties for their country, international loyalties. Loyalty to a world government, that's what we're talking about here. Okay? Teach those attitudes that will result ultimately in the creation of a world citizenship and world government. See where this is going, folks? Okay. 
So, what's been going on now? Have we been asleep for, for the last 150, 200 years? These folks have been telling us that they're going to come after our kids. Granted, a lot of this information is suppressed. You don't see this kind of information on CNN, ABC, CBS, etc. You don't see it in Time or Newsweek. The information is out there. You have to hunt for it. Okay? All right. So what happened? We're, we're, we're now at the end of World War II. We've got reading comprehensive, uh, contra, uh, comprehension is starting to decline. Uh, so what's going on here? Well, the, the U.S. Congress, in particular the House of Representatives, in the early 1950s started to, to do something about this. We had the, the House Committee on Un-American Activities, which did quite a, a lot of information to find out about the communists infiltrating our government and, and State Departments, things like that. But we also had in the House a special committee that was called uh, to investigate tax-exempt foundations. The chairman of this committee was Carol Reese from Tennessee. He selected Norman Dodd as his director of research. And what I have now, I'm going to quote from, is the, uh, the Dodd report. And uh, let me make some quotes, and I'll tell you a story about how I got this report, which uh, is kind of interesting. So uh, this, the time frame is 1953 is when the research started, and it finished up in, in April or May of 1954, and uh, Mr. Dodd rendered his report to the Reese Committee. I have the, the, the extract of that, the executive extract from that, that, that I'll be quoting from, and I'll throw the quotes up on the screen here for you to read. Uh, but he interviewed uh, leaders of uh, the big tax-exempt foundations, and we're talking about Ford, Rockefeller, Carnegie, those kinds of big foundations, because there appeared to be uh, an effort by these uh, foundations to use their money and their influence to start to do things that were not good for our country, and in particular in the areas of education. So Mr. Dodd did his research and, and he found some interesting things. And I'm going to read here from page 7, and I'll put it up on the first part of it here on the screen. Now, he, what he found was that, that grants made by the foundations, chiefly Carnegie and Rockefeller, he later talked in detail about Ford and others, but here he's talking about how these grants from these tax-exempt foundations are using their money directing education in the United States towards an international viewpoint. Now we just heard that's what the teachers union was supporting as well, the United Nations and things like that. He also says that they're using these funds to decrease the dependency of education on, upon the resources of the local community and freeing it from many of the natural safeguards. In other words, move away from local control of the school district and move towards county, state, federal control of your school district. Okay? They're experimenting with their funds trying to promote that. He continues. These folks are changing both school and college curricula to the point where they sometimes denied the principles underlying the American way of life. Now they're teaching in high school and in colleges ideas that are against our way of life. That's what we're talking about here. And lastly, financing experiments designed to determine the most effective means by which education could be pressed into service of a political nature. 
using the schools to bring about political change. Are you feeling uneasy? I, I, I feel a little sick to my stomach when I, when I think about what they've done to our country. Okay. Mr. Dodd con concludes his report with the following words. It seems incredible that the trustees of a typical American fortune uh, created foundations should have permitted them to be used to finance ideas, finance ideas and practices incompatible with the fundamental concepts of our Constitution, yet there seems evidence that this may have occurred. So they're actively working against our Constitution, our Republic. Okay. Reported to the House of Representatives to this select committee studying foundations. What happened to this information? It was buried. It was immediately buried because the conspirators have infiltrated all aspects of our government, all aspects of our society. The uh, secret societies and the subversive organizations talked about last night are alive and well and they are throughout our society, throughout the world, in fact. Okay? But now more evidence starts to build. Okay? We still have people complaining about the schools, but now it becomes a little bit more. And a book is published in 1955 called Why Johnny Can't Read. Somebody finally steps up and writes the book, says, hey, our kids are not being taught academics. Johnny can't read. Why can't he read? They could read quite well in the 19th century, in the 17th century. They could read the classics. Matter of fact, the, the, the Federalist Papers, which were a series of, of articles uh, doing the analysis of the new pending Constitution that uh, just been uh, written or uh, just been uh, approved in, in 1789, very detailed, very difficult to read today for a lot of high school and college students. The average uh, farmer could read those documents in the 1790s. That's how well reading was then and it has gone downhill, and that downhill drop has been deliberate. That's what we're talking about. So there's an awareness now, and the government is going to say, well, okay, all right, we're going to have to do something. We're going to have to help education in this country. Then some other things happen. Sputnik goes up. All of a sudden, as a nation, we say, the Russians are smarter than us. They put a, a man, or they put a satellite in space before we did. There's this big scare that we're no longer uh, as educated as some other countries, for example, the Soviet Union. So what's going on? There's a lot of concern. There's a big scare. We've got to do something about education. We have to reform education, right? So Congress abides by that demand. They come up. It takes a while, but in 1965, we get the, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, a major education reform funding document and it's been with us ever since. We refund this monster every year. It's set up into about 10 different titles. Each title, Title I, II, III, IV, et cetera, uh, deals with a different major subject. Title III, for example, is for handicapped and, and impaired uh, students. Uh, maybe Title VII is, is education laboratories, et cetera. It's broken apart like that. I'm not going to dwell on it, but know that it's there. It was set up for us in 1965. We refund this every year. Okay? So what does it do? Well, this is the education reform that they've been 
leading us to, okay? They have degraded education till we yell for reform. Now they're going to give it to us. And we'll talk in detail about how this is implemented in the next phase of, of the presentation. Before we get into the reform part, let's also talk a little bit about how the teachers are prepared for this kind of stuff as well. In the 1960s, 65 through 69, there was a research program at Michigan State University called BSTEP, Behavioral Science Teacher Education Program. Okay? Uh, this is yet another tentacle of the beast. This is, well, I'll, let me tell you what it is, okay? The objectives of BSTEP. Develop a new kind of elementary school teacher a clinical practitioner, not a conveyor of knowledge, a clinical practitioner that assumes that there's a patient and the patient is ill. Okay? Going to use research and clinical experience in all decision-making as part of training teachers and then having teachers learn how to execute that in the classroom. Educational laboratories produce curricula based on behavioral sciences. Again, this idea of changing how people behave. Not allowing them to acquire knowledge, changing how they behave. That's, that's the thrust of education for the last 50 years. Okay? And teachers are to be trained to give comprehensive aid to a client or patient. That's, that's the theme of it. The overall objective, the ultimate objective of BSTEP, the training of the teachers, was to mold America's public education system into a tool for future society planning. Okay? Now, they've implemented this in virtually every teacher college in this nation. This is how our teachers are trained in this kind of thinking. Okay, now, um, let me take a sip of water while I find where I am in my notes. Okay, things have been developing now <clears throat> for a number of years. We can see the, it's obvious now, there's a decline in our education system. People aren't able to read as well. Johnny can't read. We've asked for help. Congress is obliging. They're working all kinds of things in the background, move control away from the parents, from the local school board, do kinds of things, get them thinking international, world citizenship, and things like that. Okay? So the pattern is developing, and it's about to go into full swing. Okay? Let me describe what the process is. Okay, here's the recap. Just talked about that. I'm going to modify attitudes, behavior, values, belief system. They're going to control the teachers. They're going to control the curriculum. They're going to use public funds in public schools to execute this. Okay? All right, here's the process. First thing is they do, they, they create the problem. Normally that doesn't show up, but I put it out there because I want to emphasize that. They created the problem. Now they're going to come in here and they're going to do things like establish, help us establish educational goals. Now, they're going to ask Carnegie Foundation to come in and help us establish those 
those goals for education. Now, what's wrong with that picture? Didn't Mr. Dodd just report to Congress that Carnegie is one of those foundations that's using their millions of dollars to help bring about negative changes in the structure of education in this country? And we're going to ask them to help us reform? That's what's wrong with this picture. After they establish the goals, now they're going to require, first suggest, then require that we assess those goals. We give assessment tests to our students to see how they're doing meeting these goals. And then they won't meet the goals right away, so we'll have to remediate and then reassess. This is the pattern. Now, no matter what they call it, this is the blueprint behind it. Come up with some standards, national scholastic standards. They generally drop the word scholastic, maybe throw it in there for looks, but it's not about academics that we're talking about. National standards, national goals, state goals, come in with a curriculum, train the kids, assess the kids, then remediate them and reassess. Okay, This is the pattern. You'll see it over and over and over again. In Pennsylvania, they called it Educational Quality Assessment, EQA. Pennsylvania was one of the vanguards of the states to implement this kind of a process, mainly because it was a big state and also a union state. We used to have a lot of steel business in Pennsylvania. Now we got a lot of teachers. Okay, that, That's the big union in, in Pennsylvania now, teachers' union. They've got the right to strike, things like that. Very, very powerful force in government in the state of Pennsylvania, and they dominate the education scene. And they are part of this. They're one of the tentacles of the beast. Okay, So it was piloted in Pennsylvania, but also aspects of this was piloted in other areas. I'll talk about Michigan uh, as an example in a few minutes. Okay, All right, so they create the problem. They started years ago. They did the Dick and Jane Reader, the look, say, look at a word and say it, you know, minimize de-emphasize phonics. So they did that. Now they're coming in very strong with this. Okay, uh, and Like I said, in Pennsylvania, it was called outcome-based education, or OBE. And some of you may have heard that expression. It's, it comes under different names, but it's the same thing, uh, no matter what it's called. Okay. All right. So we finally have got a problem, and they're going to help us come fix it. All right. And this is what I call the Professor Harold Hill effect. Now, does anybody know Professor Harold Hill? A couple of folks, okay? Those of you who, uh, who are familiar with the Broadway show and later the movie called The Music Man, Professor Harold Hill was the, uh, the lead player. He was the, uh, the main character in The Music Man. And what was he? He called himself a professor of music, right? Uh, he was a con artist, right? And he came into town right there in River City. And what he did is he came in, he assessed the, 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 the situation, and he creates a problem. Oh, you got trouble right here in River City, right? He creates the problem. Why? So he can sell them his solution. This is what the government does to us over and over and over again. They created the problem in our education system. Why? Because they want to sell us their solution. And guess what? The solution is worse than the problem. And it keeps getting worse. And we keep saying, 
give us more education reform because it's going down, and they do, and it goes down faster. That's their plan. This is the things that I found out. Okay. Let's take a look at some of these examples of the kinds of goals that they, they want us to adopt and then to, to implement in our schools. These are the goals that we established in Pennsylvania. Some variation of this list is in every state. Okay? Quality goals of education. First one, self-esteem. Now, moms and dads, do you want your children to have self-esteem? Everybody nod your head, yes. Yes, you want your children to think well of themselves, right? You think they think well of themselves because they're excelling in their academics. That's not what it means. I'll tell you what it means in a few minutes. Tolerance towards others. Should we have tolerance towards others? Yes, that's a Christian value. Basic skills. Well, certainly you want to have basic skills. Can anybody argue with anything on this list? No, you can't. And that's why the list reads like this. We throw this list up in front of some skeptical parents and say, don't you want to have uh, vocational knowledge? Number eight, don't you want to have creative activities? Number seven, da-da-da-da-da-da. Can you see all of these? Coping with change, don't you want your child to be able to change in this dynamic world that we live in? Don't you want them to be able to, to bounce back and things like that? All of these sound like things we want. They aren't things that we want. Let me explain. I'm going to take two of these and, and digest them for you so you know what they mean when they say this. Okay? Let's take the first one. Self-esteem. Self-esteem means what the child thinks about themselves, and they think good about themselves if they perform well in their academic studies. And this is what you and I want it to think, want it to mean. Okay? That's not what self-esteem means. What we have is their actual document. I've got a document on a table here somewhere called the EQA Inventory. EQA, Educational Quality Assessment Inventory. That's the term they use to describe the methodology behind the practice of these goals. Okay? We looked it up in self-esteem. This is what they say. Self-esteem deals with the locus of control of the child, whether the child is internally motivated, a rugged individual, a self-starter, or externally motivated. Tends towards collectivism, goes with the flow. Guess what the state standard is? Collectivism. Not individual, not rugged self-starter, not one who thinks for themselves, but rather one who thinks collectively, goes with the flow. That's what they consider to be high self-esteem. Okay? It's got nothing to do with academics. It has to do with the, the behavioral term called locus of control, internally or externally motivated. Citizenship, another one of the examples. Okay, citizenship. What does citizenship mean to you and me? Well, that means that the student, the potential citizen of the state, county, nation, etc., knows about the structure of the government that they have, how they are to participate in that government, their role, their responsibility, the roles and responsibilities of various civic organizations in their government and things of that. That's what you and I think about citizenship maybe, right? Something along those lines? Wrong. Citizenship 
when you look at that, objectives in the factual domain were not considered. The factual domain, like structure of government, international relationships, the role of the, the, the government, things in the factual domain were not considered in evaluating citizenship. What was considered? The document goes on to read, the psychological of threshold is used to evaluate citizenship. What does this mean? What does threshold mean? It tells us threshold is a set of conditions necessary to bring about change. They call it citizenship. I call it brainwashing. But that's what the goal is. They don't publish this inventory, this analysis of what these goals stand for. They just want you to think that it stands for something that, that sounds like it ought to stand for that. When they say they want more classes, more curriculum that emphasize citizenship, what they're talking about is instruction for the children that helps them evaluate in each individual child where that child will change. They find that point in, in that child's psychological makeup and they score it. This is where that child will change without resistance. Perhaps even without the child knowing that they're changing. So this is what they're about. Okay? These are just two. We could go on and on. There's 10, 12 others like this. Now, do they have a class called citizenship? Do they have a class called self-esteem? No. It's embedded in other uh, material. You can have a self-esteem nugget buried in an algebra class. Okay? Uh, they want to desensitize the kids. And they're not going to publish this for the, the parents. You've got to dig deep to find this kind of information. I'll give you an example uh, of, uh, of this, the self-esteem one. And perhaps some of you have heard this. Uh, there's a secret club. This, is, this was an actual example of one of the questions. I'll paraphrase it because I don't have the document right here in front of me, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll quote from it, or I'll, I will paraphrase it. Question. There's a secret club in, in your school that's called the, the Midnight Marauders, and they go out at night and they paint funny expressions on, on different uh, signs and, and buildings and things like that. I would join that club if my best friend was a member. Yes, no, or maybe. I would join that club if all the most popular kids in the school were members. Yes, no, or maybe. I would join that club if, uh, yes, no, or maybe if uh, my parents would be upset if they found out. Yes, no, or maybe. Okay. First two answers should be yes, the last answer should be no. First two have to deal with going with your best friend, most popular kids. They want you to say yes because that's go with the flow collectivism. The third question deals with re you're recognizing the authority of your parents and they want you to reject that. So if you said yes, I would not join that club, or you said no, I would not join that club because my parents would be upset, you would be targeted for remediation because you would be low in self-esteem in their way of thinking. Okay? All right. So that's how these, th these things work. All right. Okay. Uh, next slide is, we'll talk a little bit here about curriculum, curriculum laboratories, and validated curriculum. Okay. 
Now, we funded now, 1965 forward now, we funded money for the development of curriculum. And we've got curriculum laboratories that are designed to implement these, these uh, ideas. All right, the curriculum arrives at the schools and it's coded, you know, here's a curriculum to increase self-esteem, another one to increase getting along with others and all these different, they're supporting all these goals that people have bought into, that Carnegie organization, pardon me, has helped us design, okay? So now they implement the curriculum developed by these curriculum laboratories. Then there's assessment tests that are given. Uh, in Pennsylvania, they did it in the third, seventh, and eleventh grades. Everybody, third grade got it, everybody in seventh grade got it, everybody in eleventh grade got it. Okay? All right. Uh, now, the results of that go back and they analyze it. And if they found that, in fact, the self-esteem was increased, that curriculum increased the self-esteem, then now that is declared to be validated curriculum. In other words, it does what it's supposed to do. You and I now know that validated self-esteem curriculum means it's changing the child from thinking individually to thinking more like a little socialist. Okay? That's what validated self-esteem curriculum means. But these work together. Curriculum, curriculum laboratories, and then the validated curriculum. So you understand that point? Any questions on that? Okay? All right. Um, Okay, we begin to ask some questions. We knew about the assessment tests. We knew about the goals. They gotta be doing something with this information. Now, when they take the assessment tests, and now, as a matter of fact, I think it's a requirement that uh, uh, everybody who attends a public school or, or college or university's got to use their social security number as their student ID. True, right? So they're recording this information by student ID. It's got to be somewhere. They've got to have this information. They don't do all of this. By the way, the test, the actual assessment tests are classified. You can't see them. Parents can't see them. Even the teachers can't see them. They generally bring in a special group of external teachers or administrators to administer the test. The test is given, collected, and it exits the building. The teachers aren't allowed to see it either. Can't get a copy of these. We were able to get some back channel copies. That's why I can share a lot of this information with you. Okay? Where does this information go? It's got to be there some, somewhere. I, I recall a, a, a late night conversation on the telephone with a, with a friend of mine in, a, in an adjacent county who was uh, fighting the same kind of things. And, and, and I kept telling him, I said, Joel, I, I know there's got to be a computer database somewhere with this kind of information in it. He says, oh, come on, Dick. He says, they got computer databases on all of us. They've got our social security numbers. They've got our credit card numbers. They've got our driver's license numbers. Uh, he says, he as says, a matter of fact, I got a book here on my shelf that talks about all that kind of stuff. And he reaches over on his shelf. And we're talking on the phone. He reaches over on the shelf and he says, oh, my, guess what I just found? And he pulls up this book. And he's thumbing through it, and he hits a page he hasn't looked at before. And on page 63 of this book, talks about computer databases established by the Department of Education. Now, the name of this book is Where's What? 
Sources of Information for Federal Investigators. It was written by a gentleman named Harry Murphy. Harry works at the Central Intelligence Agency. Okay? A lot of the information in this book used to be classified. Okay? But now it's been declassified and it's been published. I'm not supposed to have a copy of this book. But Joel, my friend back in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, used to work in the security department for the Air Force. And because of that relationship, he got a copy of this book. He gave it to me. So what did Harry write about in these computer databases? Well, Harry said on page 63 that the Department of Education is now using data banking was the term that he used. And under the US Department of Health, Education, and Welfare have published handbooks that describe these computer databases. And that handbook four was developed on the files that they have on administrators, uh, administrators and teachers. And that's, that's in handbook four. Handbook five is on the, the students. Well, what else did he say about that? Well, Harry said, also I'll continue on page 63, and I have it right here, and up on the screen for you. He said that in these databases, in the 4,000 series of the database, they've got health information. 4,100 4, is, is uh, physical health. 4,200 is other health. What is other health? Psychological, right? Okay, so this is what Harry, who works at the CIA, is telling federal investigators. He further said that Handbook 5 is the one you're really going to be interested in because Handbook 5 is the one you'll use because you'll be conducting more investigations on students than on teachers. Why? Because students grow up, get jobs with the government, and they need security classifications, they need security clearances, and things like that. And that's a legitimate job of our government to investigate for security reasons. But is it a legitimate jo uh, job of our government to record the psychological profile on every citizen in this country? I don't think so. But Harry says, investigators, you'll save a lot of uh, steps, time, and money checking these records in the Department of Education. How does he get in there? By social security number. Okay. All right. So. Uh, armed with that information, I said, boy, I sure do want to get a copy of that handbook five that Harry's talking about here, okay? Um, meanwhile, uh, we're saying out loud at press conferences and any time we get a chance to talk to senators, representatives, the Secretary of Education and his staff that we think that there's this computer database out there. and. They said, okay, we're going to shut these parents up. So they published a little document that I have here somewhere. Okay. Uh, Pennsylvania Education Reforms, Question and Answers About. Okay. Little thing like this, you know, you know, 100 questions on our education reforms. And in here, question number 19 says, is there a data bank? at the state or federal level which will keep state assessments results on individual students? Their one-word response, no. Well, wait a minute, the CIA is accessing something. Where do they get that? If I could find this handbook five and, and confirm what Harry had talked about in his book, then now I've got a link, I've got a thread, I can, I can prove this point. Okay? Oh my. 
guess what else I just found? Okay? So we got a copy of Handbook 5. Somewhere. <laughs> Handbook 5. Student Pupil Accounting. Published by the National Center for Educational Statistics. There are very different versions of this. The one I got a hold of back in the early 90s was the 1974 edition, there was another version in 76, revised, and there have been subsequent revisions. I don't have all of the revisions. This was enough to tell me. Well, what did we find in here? In Handbook 5, on page 4, I'm flipping through to page 4 here. I'll be with you there. Okay. In Handbook 5, on page 4, is a big chart that shows all the different categories of information, major categories of student information. Remember, Handbook 5 is students. Student information, using the first three digits. Now, when Harry talked about it in his book, they used four digits. So the, the health information was in 4,000. Here, it's in 400. And bingo, there it is. Mental, psychological, and proficiency test results and related student character, uh, uh, characteristics by social security number. There's the book that describes the computer database. Here's the book. Here's the book where the CIA says they use the computer database. And the state of Pennsylvania says it doesn't exist. Somebody's lying to me. Okay. So, we said, got to do something about this. So, here's what we've got. We've got a handbook now. We've got the EQA assessment that talks about the structure of the quality goals and how they really are evaluating something other than what we think it is. We've got the computer databases. They're collecting and storing information about the children by social security numbers. Okay. Well, uh, at this time, I'd like to talk about someone who uh, was doing research at the same time frame as, uh, as myself, and who actually had started several years before me, uh, back in the 80s. And uh, there's been a book written about her efforts. Uh, the, uh, the name of the lady is uh, Mrs. Anita Hogue. The book is called Educating for the New World Order. It was written by Beverly Eekman. I've had the, the pleasure of meeting both of these ladies. Uh, this book chronicles her research from discovering the assessment tests that her child took that, you know, that didn't make any sense to the child, but she understood it as a psychological test, to discovering the EQA inventory, etc. cetera. Uh, B-STEP is discussed in this book as well. Okay. Uh, the CIA document is not in this book because uh, I found that independent of the writing of this book. Okay, uh, so we said, uh, got to do something about this. So I lived, uh, like I said, in southeastern uh, Pennsylvania, and I could hear the, the uh, Philadelphia talk radio stations. Uh, and so I heard that Governor Casey, Bob Casey, was going to be on the morning talk radio show uh, one day 
So I said, ah, this is my opportunity. So it, it, all these education reforms are coming in under, under Robert Casey's uh, uh, time as, as governor. So I said, uh, I'm going to do something about this. And I told all my friends, listen to the talk radio this morning because I'm going to try to get in, talk to the governor about his outcome-based education program. So I, I got in the queue about 45 minutes before the governor, governor was, was due to come on. And I sat there on hold for that whole time period. I'm thinking, what do I say? What do I say? Uh, dear Lord, please help me here. Let me say something intelligent. And so finally, I, I knew the guy who was running the talk radio show. Uh, uh, Paul W. Smith, maybe some of you know he's in the Detroit area now. Uh, he didn't pretty much, uh, he didn't care much for us radical right-wing Christians, you know. Uh, we were to be subdued uh, as, as quickly as possible. So I know I, when I got on the air, I would only have maybe 15 seconds to make my point before he'd pull the plug. And so I, I, uh, I thought, what can I do? What can I do? So Finally, the, the governor's on there. He makes a few comments about his education reform package. It's moving along. There, Yeah, there's criticism, but we think this is a good thing, yada, yada. And, well, we got some callers, Governor, and here's our first caller. Here's uh, Dick from Montgomery County. Uh, Dick, what's your question for the governor? I said, Governor, uh, thank you very much for taking my call. I have two quick questions. One question is, where is the empirical evidence that says that your educational reform packages actually work and are better for the students. And second question, would you be willing to meet with a group of uh, concerned citizens to discuss this? I got it out in about 12 seconds. <laughs> uh, and he said very graciously, he says, let me answer the first question for it. I'd be glad to meet with you. Okay, great. Now, to answer to your first question, this is very, very interesting. He said, all the education reformers and big business think it's a good idea. My, that's a very telling statement. The chief executive of one of the larger states in the nation is leaning on education reformers and big business to get his advice about how to restructure education in his state. And let me tell you, big business is in this big time. They need little worker bees. They don't have to think, they just have to do their job and, and be happy at it. Okay? And, and I won't go into that, but I could talk for hours on just that point. But, um, and, and, and let me make another point that I think about it right now, is you've heard talk about the elimination of the Department of Education. They could do that right now, and that would not stop one thing because all the main thrust of these educational reforms and the future of educational reform is really at the federal level in the Department of Labor. And there's an excellent book up here uh, by Charlotte Isabite uh, called The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America. And she gets into that topic quite uh, in detail about how this is really evolving into creating the future, not just society, but the future workforce. And what it means is that you will only be allowed to have a select number of professions. You can't just go to school, go to college, and be whatever you want. That's going to be controlled in the future. So education is now evolving into controlling the workforce of the future. Okay. 
So anyway, we got our invite or our audience with uh, Governor Bob Casey, and this was like in about the um, maybe October time frame. We finally got to see him on his calendar in January, I think it was. I invited several individuals to join me. There was a, a network of us working across the state, and so I invited, uh, in addition to myself, I invited Joel, who helped me with the, the, uh, the, the, the book that I referred to, the CIA document. I invited Anita Hogue, who had done a lot of the research that, uh, much of the, the research that this uh, presentation is based on. I invited several other prominent leaders from the grassroots who know what's going on, et cetera. At the last, there was a snowstorm that morning and Anita Hogue was, was snowed in, in in her mountaintop town and could not get out, so she was not able to join us, but there were about uh, eight of us there in the governor's office. And we, the appointment was for 11 o'clock. And we went over there about 10 o'clock and we're sitting outside the office in this waiting room. And, uh, and I'm thinking, what are all the possible scenarios? Now, I mean, they're, not, they're gonna, they're gonna say at the last minute, oh, something's come up and, you know, the governor will have to reschedule or, or we'll get in there and seven minutes into us meeting with the governor, the phone will ring right on cue. Oh, there's, the governor's been called off to another meeting. There's gonna be something happen to pull the rug out from underneath us. We finally got in there about 12.15 for an 11 o'clock appointment. The governor gave us over one hour we showed him things like the CIA document, like the EQA assessment, uh, like Handbook 5. He had never seen these things before. He did not know the story that we were telling. He had never heard that before. Now, mind you, the person at the time who was his senior advisor for, on educational subjects was a one Dr. Helen Wise. She was sitting in the room with us. She never said one word. She was taking notes. But when we showed him Handbook 5, and we said, here, doctor, in Area 4000, we have mental health results from assessment tests. We also showed him that this document, when it was coordinated and published, carried with that the signatures of all of the leads of uh, heads of organizations, educational organizations in the country that went along with this, that participated in the design of this computer database. At the time when this was published, Dr. Helen Wise, whose signature is right here, was the president of the National Education Association. <coughs> she denied the computer, uh, computer database existed but her signature is on the book that describes how to use it. Um, for those of you who know a little bit about uh, Governor Casey, he was not a well man. He was, uh, by, some, by some standards, a conservative Catholic. Uh, he was pro-life. He was also in ill health. And he later had, uh, after he finished his, his uh, time as governor, he had multiple organ bypass, and, and then he passed away a, a year or two after that. Uh, at this one hour and 15 minute uh, uh, meeting with him, he went from looking casual to looking very, very ill. He physically looked ill. I think 
that we really upset him and I think we really shook him quite a bit. Unfortunately, he did not cancel the, the reform package and it went through, it went through and it's now moving along quite well in, in Pennsylvania and in other states. Okay. Uh, at this point, I want, I want to pause a little bit because I, I, I told you what I was going to tell you. Now I want to tell you a couple more stories and then I want to tell you what I told you. Okay. Uh, in the same time frame, uh, in addition to being the, the president of a local taxpayer association and then a president of a multi-county taxpayer association, I also uh, ran for school board. And uh, I didn't think I was going to win. I, I wanted to and I ran like I was going to win, but I, uh, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to make some points. I wanted to get the level of dialogue about this up at a high level, okay? So, you know, the newspapers send you this form to fill out, you know, what are your points in your platform, uh, you know, this and that and the other, and do you have a quote that summarizes your, your campaign? This is what I used, whoops, missed a slide there. This is the, what I used as my quote for my campaign. There are only two kinds of people that like outcome-based education, fools and villains, and I have a low tolerance for both. <laughs> I didn't do this to be smart. I wanted some reporter to ask me, Mr. Fraze, what's that about? Nobody touched it. Not one person touched that. As obvious as that is, come ask me about that. I want to tell you, not one person would touch it. Not one person would touch it. Okay. Well, I can't be done. I still have two pages here, so. Uh, let me talk about some other things that happened here. Let's go around the country just a little bit. Uh, out in Michigan, they had a similar program out there in their health curriculum area. Uh, when I say similar program, a reform, education reform model, like I had talked about. You know, put in the goals, assess, uh, reassess, and, and, and uh, remediate, et cetera. They called it the Michigan model for comprehensive school health education. All right, they got a lot of complaints there from the citizens of Michigan, and they, uh, the Senate, put together a select committee to evaluate that. They did, and over the period of several months, they've had 30 findings with recommendations. Uh, their number one recommendation or finding was that the Michigan Departments of Education and Public Health organized a campaign to discredit parents. They actually had an organized effort to shut you and me up when we say we don't like what you're doing to our children. This is an awful monster, folks. This is an awful monster. Okay? So we had a lot of, uh, there are a lot of things that happened in this same time frame. I can't get them all together in my head chronic chronologically, but about this same time frame, somehow or other, my, my activity made it to ABC News with Peter Jennings, uh, <laughs> if you can believe it. Uh, I was running for school board, okay? We had uh, one of these really, really bright kids, senior, who was, uh, had been indoctrinated by his social studies teacher, who would talk proudly of his days being investigated by the House on Un-American Activities back in the 50s. 
And this young man had been indoctrinated to the point where he chose to write a rather blistering editorial about my candidacy and two or three other folks that were running with me. And I was called names, some of which I had to look up. I was called a xenophobic patriot. <laughs> I had to look that up because I, I didn't think it had anything to do with Xerox copiers, so I had to do with something else. And it turns out xenophobic means an unwarranted fear of foreigners. Well, I have fear of foreigners, but it's not unwarranted. Uh, so anyway, he wrote this blazing editorial, and there was a big hubbub in the local paper that jumped on it. And of course, they were trying to you know, discredit our campaign, and, and so we wouldn't get elected. Well, uh, somehow or other, ABC News heard about this, and they were in there the next day with the film crew, and they filmed uh, uh, this young man standing up at a podium like this, giving his uh, you know, graduation speech, and all the kids in the row, rah, 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 that's our guy. He really shot down those Christians, you know, da, 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 da. So anyway, all of that uh, reminded me of something that uh, an old World War II B-29 bomber once told me. He says, you always get the most flack when you're right over the target. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to share one other quote. Well, I got a couple other quotes, but I want to share another thing with you here, if I can find it. Uh, at, uh, it was at this same time frame, again, this is the early to mid-90s, uh, uh, I was on talk radio frequently as a guest, and I also called in a lot, and I was on this one talk radio program uh, because uh, there had this radical left now had come out strongly denouncing that we were going to take over the school board and put prayer back in school and, and all kinds of things like that. Uh, and so there was this vicious attack on Christian, the Christian religion. And I, uh, I was invited on as the president of the Taxpayers Association to talk about this because it was a coordinated attack across uh, the whole state, in, in fact, across the whole country. I mean, so they're yelling at, at, at uh, parents in Oregon saying the same thing there, the same words, that they're saying in New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Kentucky and Kansas, okay? It's the same pattern. Now, how, how does this thing happen? How does the same criticism get labeled all across the country simultaneously? It's being networked, okay? Uh, last night, Harry Verizer, I'm glad he, he gave his speech first because I can borrow on that a lot. He talked about there are two kinds of, of, of conspiracies. There's one that's centrally controlled, the other one that's networked. Well, they were networking like crazy. Organizations like uh, um, well, the Freedom to, to, Freedom to Learn Network and uh, People for the American Way, these kinds of organizations, of course, the NEA uh, was in there as well. So anyway, uh, I'm invited on, and, and, and the, uh, the talk radio show host uh, turns to me and says, and, and, and Mr. Frey, Dick, what do you think about all of this attack on on your taxpayers associations and the attack on the, the Christians in the, in the community. And I said, you know what? I said, uh, when, I, when I started to see this develop, it, it was like deja vu. I said, I, I, I've seen this before. I've heard this before. And I just can't place my finger on it. And I, and I said, and I thought about this for a long time. And I said, then I, I, went, I remember that when I was on orders to go to Vietnam, 
we were given an orientation at, uh, at Fort Sill on what it's like to fight communists in a counterinsurgency environment. So I dug through my old footlocker. I don't have an old footlocker, but that's what I said. I dug through my old footlocker, and, I, and I, I got this old army manual. It's not an army manual, but that's the words I used, okay? And now I'm on the radio, okay? I'm on the radio saying all this, and now I said, and let me quote from this document. I think I have a slide for this, so you can read along with me. You must work until religion is synonymous with insanity. You must work until the officials of city, county, and state governments will not think before they pounce upon religious groups as public enemies. Now, the document that I'm quoting is Brainwashing, a synthesis of the Russian textbook on psychopolitics. And he says, Mr. Fraser, are you saying that there's communists operating in Montgomery County? I said, no, 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 Daryl, they're not communists operating in Montgomery County. I'm just saying that these people are just using a well-known and documented communist tactic. And by golly, all those folks shut up for about six weeks, ten weeks, till they recovered from that <laughs> association. Okay. So where are we now? Okay, let me summarize. Did you win? No, I did not win. Thank you. <laughs> let me tell you what I've told you, okay? There is a method to their madness. It's actually well planned out. They're quite brilliant in the way they've designed this. It's very difficult to fight this. Very, very difficult. They've been doing it for hundreds of years. They've been planning for it and executing it little by little by little for hundreds of years. We can go back easily 200 to 1776. We know that far back. Okay? All right. There's a method to their madness. Their purpose. Their purpose is to indoctrinate the indoctrination of our children into collectivism and to use them to help bring about their new world order. That is the purpose behind education reform in this country. And I might add most every other country in the world. A footnote. In uh, one of my research documents, this big heavy thing here, uh, it's called Research Manual, America 2000 Golds 2000, Moving the Nation Educationally to a New World Order. This was uh, compiled and edited by uh, James Patrick. He's a pra uh, Protestant uh, minister uh, in uh, Indiana. I helped by uh, doing some editing for him on this manual. But in here, uh, for example, you saw at the beginning I, I pulled up about 10 or 12 quotes. He's got uh, an article in here written by uh, Dr. Dennis Cuddy, a hundred pages of quotes about education, okay? But in here, he's got a section where he takes uh, Bill Clinton's Goals 2000, President Bush Sr.'s America 2000, and then the educational reform package coming out of the United Nations and put them, puts them side by side. And in many places, they are verbatim, exactly the same words as you step through these documents simultaneously. So what's happening in here in Middleburg Heights is happening in 
is in New York, in Canada, in Great Britain, in Italy, France, Thailand, uh, Australia. The same thing is happening around the world. All of the children of the world are getting indoctrinated. Okay? They want to use our children to bring about their new world order. Okay? And the last thing I hope that you'll get out of this it's certainly my point of view, but I think it's valid, that this is nothing more but nothing less than the battle that started in the Garden of Eden 7,000 years ago. Okay? So, before I call for your questions, let me uh, add one more point, because I'd like to leave you with one last quote. Words taken from the beginning of the Tridentine Mass and recorded in Psalms 42. Judge me, O God, and distinguish my cause from the nation that is not holy. Deliver me from the unjust and deceitful man. Thank you very much for your attention. That's another one-hour presentation, but uh, <laughs> the question is, what about this? Uh, we eliminate the Department of Education, but all of this will still go on because the mechanisms to implement the future activities are, are really in the Department of Labor. And I don't know that I can amplify much, amplify much more than that, but there's a lot of documentation on that. Uh, I mentioned Charlotte Isabite's book right here, which is a monstrous book. Uh, she has excellent credentials, um, and there, there are other sources as well. Uh, let me, uh, as a matter of fact, I want to I've got, laying out here, I've got several documents I want to share with you, so this is a good lead to that. Uh, one of our, our speaker this evening, uh, Mr. Anthony, Anthony uh, Lobato, works for an organization called uh, WorldNet Daily. They publish a magazine, monthly magazine, as well as having their news website. The one for the, the month of uh, October is devoted to education. Uh, the the uh, dumbing down, the deliberate destruction of America's education system. Uh, I recommend that website to you for a lot of your news. That's where I go for a lot of my news. And I recommend their magazine to you. You may look at this uh, if you care to. You may look at any of these books that I have up here as well. But uh, as I alluded to before, to get back to the details of your question, uh, the ultimate goal, one of the ultimate goals of this education reform is to, uh, to bring about a flow of citizenry with the right attitudes, the right belief structure, uh, which is essentially atheism and you know, go with the flow, and to have a compliant workforce uh, for the future. Okay? They don't want people who uh, think for themselves. They don't want people who can read and do their independent thinking and, and, and research. They don't want informed individuals. They want a compliant workforce. And so there is strong ties between the education reform movement and what they're trying to do with the future workforce. Okay. Next question here, this young lady. Yeah. You had mentioned earlier uh, a document that you had and said, I'm going to tell you a little bit later, I'll tell you how the document is kind of uh, I remember saying something like that. Do you remember? Oh, the Dodd Report. Okay, thank you. There was the Dodd Report. Yes. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm relatively new to this education reform research effort. Okay? 
Um, and somebody gives me a copy of the Dodd report. I, I can't remember who, but one of my colleagues. And so I sit down one evening, and it's only about 18 pages long, and I read it. It takes you know, half an hour, 34, 40 minutes. I read this report, and I'm like, shocked. This is amazing stuff. And look at the date on it, 1954. So like, where has this stuff been? So the first thing I did was I ran off about 20 copies of it. And, and so I, I know, I know 20 people that want, that want this, that don't, maybe don't have it. So I'm running around the, the county uh, delivering this. And one of the gentlemen who I thought would be interested in this was, his name is Al Zeller. Some of you in the audience know him, I know. Uh, and I dropped a copy off at, at Al's house. He wasn't at home uh, at the time. So I, I left a little note on it. Al thought you might want to read this. I think it's very interesting and left it in a little plastic sack hanging on his doorknob. Well, the next day, Al called me. And he said, Dick, he says, I didn't know you were interested in the Dodd Report. He says, I've had that for 20 years. So I asked the next obvious question. I said, what else do you have that I'm too dumb to ask about? And he invited me over and showed me his personal library. Okay. And the rest of the picture fell into place. Okay. Uh, Al Zeller happens to be a uh, lifetime member of the John Birch Society and a local chapter leader. Uh, and I joined the Birch Society within a month or two after that. And your question right here, sir. Since the basic principle of the government schools is, is an immoral concept, and since specifically they were formed in the United States in the 1840s against the Catholic Church, do you see any other alternative to solving the problem than the separation of school and state, the abolition of the government schools? Uh, well, uh, certainly there the other avenues, because what you've asked for there, and, and I, I know that there's an organization called separation of, or that works for separation of, of school and state, uh, and I support their endeavors. I don't think that will be a winning effort. So that's an excellent question, though. What do we do? Well, what you don't do is put your children in public school. It's what you don't do. Homeschool, uh, put them into a good Catholic school, or start your own Catholic school. We're attempting to do this in, in New York. Start our own school. Okay. Yes, sir. Do you support the, the book Go ahead. Monday of Quality Education? And uh, would you comment on uh, whether or not you expect the homeschool movement, which was recently reported at being 850,000 students strong, being shut down or, or, or restricted in some way in the near future? Would I support that? Uh, Do you support the book, Monday Education? I have the book. Uh, it's right here on the table. I've not had the chance to uh, complete reading it, but uh, um, so I can't say that I fully agree with all of that. The question is, do I support the book, and what about homeschooling 800,000 strong? Uh, our nation was, was founded by families that only homeschooled. And we were one of the most prosperous nations in the world under that education system. I fully support that. But do you expect the government to see that as a threat and to try to shut it down? Absolutely. Would the government try to shut down homeschooling? Absolutely. We are a threat. We are a serious threat to their plans. They can't pull off what they're trying to do if we continue to exist. So I think the other speaker last night that talked about the deliberate persecution and, and genocide of Catholics 
is not too far off from a scenario that we might have to revisit. And there was a question there, sir. Yes. How do you, how do you, how do you question of funding. You're saying you ran the school board because you were along with the escalation or of the school taxes in the district. Now, uh, in, in New York City, it costs over $9,000 a year to educate a student. Mm -hmm. Teachers are complaining there that they're underpaid compared to Long Island, where the school taxes are out of sight. And so the solution seemed to be uh, get Uncle Sam to kick in toward this this uh, cost. Except that we know that he who pays uh, who pays the fiddle uh, pays the musician called the tune. Mm -hmm. And so we're in mm -hmm. a circular reasoning situation, are we not? You've nailed it. Uh, so uh, as far as I'm concerned, any money devoted to public education is wrong, ill-spent. I don't care where it comes from. But in particular, to echo your point, though, money coming from the state or federal government into an individual school district or into a parochial school system is wrong. Because with those funds come the controls and the mandates that... I've just outlined for you, okay? So, uh, that, that's, the, the, the idea, the arguments uh, about funding of school systems, uh, public school systems, uh, are not even germane to the, to the topic, not to, not to suppress your question, but uh, they're the wrong system to be supporting. Uh, I know you can't get out of it because they're, you know, state uh, uh, mandated or county mandated uh, taxes, but the school system that you should be funding would be a good Catholic school system. Yes, ma'am. I missed the example that you gave of educational goals, homey educational goals. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was after I appreciated the accomplishments. I'm, I'm sorry. I missed the 10 homey example of education. Uh, number 10. Okay, uh, let me see if I can find that. Uh, Number 10. Uh, it might be. That was one of them. I have the actual document here. It is co Number 10 is coping with change. And if you'd like to, to look at the actual 10 and their write-ups, you may look at this uh, at the break. Okay. Uh, yes, ma'am. Us as that's an excellent question. The question is, what can we do as individual citizens to, uh, to work in our own communities, in our own sphere of influence, to uh, inform our, our fellow citizens, uh, et cetera, about, about the, the problem with, uh, with public education? And, and I say there's a lot we could do. Certainly by being at this forum and, and listening to my rant and ravings uh, is something, and I appreciate your tolerance of that. Uh, but also you take this information and then share that with others, 
pray. That should have been first out of my lips uh, is the, the first thing to do. Uh, Our Lady uh, has, and our Lord has told us, He will win. He will win. We know that. Uh, but He also said there will be pain and suffering along the way. Uh, but uh, what I do is I uh, throw out a, a little, you know, a little tantalizing expression about education and, and see if somebody bites. And if they bite, I... I give them something else and and I would say something like did you know that and then I give them some ridiculous thing out of this presentation out of these kinds of facts Oh, get out of here they don't do that oh yeah I can show you the document where the CIA taps into this computer database right now well, I don't believe that well here's the book that describes it you know here's the book that structures the database here's the guy saying federal investigators go use it you know I didn't write this uh, well, I, I can make copies of these available and uh, see Don Julius because I'm going to make some of these available to him. Okay, uh, so there's, there's much that we can do. But uh, take care of your family, take care of those loved ones, and then can try to branch out as, as far as you're successful. If you hit a wall, bounce back and try someplace else. It's amazing the number of people who are responsive to me. Uh, one little story. Uh, I've been at uh, working at Daimler Chrysler as a consultant now for about six years. Uh, five years ago, I ran into a bleeding heart liberal who voted for Bill Clinton two times and who was uh, a Novus Ordo Catholic and 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 I have been slowly giving him little bits of information on this topic and on many other topics to educate him, and now. <coughs> You know, he'll see me in the hall. Hey, Dick, you got something else? You know, uh, I read all that other stuff, and, and now he's, he, I've almost got him into the, to the, the Latin Mass. He's almost ready to come to the Latin Mass. But uh, you work on it, and you pray. Okay, in, in the back. Uh, Mr. Levine. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Concerning the corporate educational dynamic, yes. How is it possible, considering the decline in morals and educational standards, that we've seen an increase in productivity in the global economy? Uh, that's a, that's a very interesting question, uh, and they they account for that a little bit in their uh, in their plan. Uh, I'm going to see if I can find B-step here, because that talks to it a little bit. Um, I didn't have a chart for this, so I didn't talk about it in the, in the presentation. But in the, uh, you may recall that B-step is the Behavioral Science Teacher Education Program. Okay, so the majority of the students, they're going to let them fall off the cliff, dumb them down. But they also talk about in B-step how there's an elite group that has to be identified and they will be nurtured and given all the best. Okay? We're going to create a, a class society and that's already begun. I can't say that it's in place now and that's the reason why the, the economic success. We also have, a, you know, in, in fact, we ha 
We have a lot of people in this country who are very, very intelligent. And despite the attempts to dumb down people, some people come through the school system and get education, and they do it because they're gifted by God with the ability to learn. And they do that. And I've seen that over and over again. Uh, we also are importing a lot of help from other countries. Uh, I see a lot uh, from the, the Middle East, uh, from India, uh, and from China. They're, they have uh, good technical training in some of these countries, and their elite are allowed to rise to the top, and they're very, very bright people from other countries that are being hired in to big corporate America right now. So that is another reason for this. Uh, and you're seeing more and more of that. There's also a major trend. I heard this when I was at General Electric, and I'm seeing it played out in uh, big corporations right now, that uh, in the not too distant future, the white American male will be the minority in business. It will be women and other minorities, include foreigners, that will be in the majority. Maybe not one of them the majority, but those collectively will be more in the industry uh, than the regular white guy. Uh, I hope that answers your question. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay, can I take one, one last question? One last question. Yes. Is that part of that plan to train certain people in vocational while we're training all others in, uh, in fact, mental and mental sciences? Uh, the, the, the 12 goals that I put up there, quality goals of education, were those that were used to trigger the big education reform package. Those that followed that got more into the ones that are being implemented today. Those what came out in, in the late 70s and were continued to be used up into the 90s. Now the ones that are going in place to now are tailored to the, the, uh, the more of the vocational area. Okay. Thank you very much for your attendance uh, and your, uh, your interest. Thank you.